Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. We're going to go to Hebrews this morning. We're going to go to Hebrews this morning, and we're going to start in verse 17, and then we'll back up. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. I want to go ahead and get into this because I'm not exactly sure how long it'll take. I feel like I have a lot to say, uh, or the, the Lord has a lot to say, so I, I want to go ahead and get into it. I'm sorry if that feels like a, an abrupt um, jump in there. Are you there? All right, Hebrews verse six or chapter six, verse 17. Did I tell you the chapter? Did I just tell you the verse? Well, you guys should have known the chapter. This is discernment class. Did you know that? <laughs> listen, listen, man. After that worship set, what am I supposed to do? All right, <laughs> Hebrews chapter six, verse 17. Lord Jesus, help us. <clears throat> so <clears throat> when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. The, the title of the message the Lord's given me this morning is Joyful Expectation. Joyful Expectation. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we found the right chapter. Holy Spirit, help us this morning to hear what you would have to say. Open the ears of these people. Let this seed of your word be planted deep in the hearts of these people. Jesus, walk up and down these aisles. Speak to your people. Touch their hearts. Touch me as I bring forth this word and let it produce good fruit for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The book of Hebrews is an is a interesting book for me. First of all, we, we really don't know who wrote it, so that's kind of interesting. Of all the history that we know about the scriptures, we really aren't positive who wrote the book of Hebrews, but it's written to a people who are really struggling. It's written to a people who are ready to give up it's written to a people who are ready to throw in the towel. It's written to a people that have had enough. It's written to a people that are fed up. It's written to a people that are done with it. And we have some of the most powerful truths of Scripture. I know that's a, it feels like a weird characteristic to say because all truth in Scripture is powerful. But some of the, some of the most quotable, maybe I should say, truths in Scripture. We have the book of faith in Hebrews, and it's written to a people who are losing faith and ready to give up. This is, this is a group of previously Hebrew and Jewish people that have converted to Christianity. They're now being ostracized by their families, by their communities. They're losing businesses. They're losing homes. They're being hunted down by the Jewish community. They're being thrown out of synagogues. They're being thrown out of cities. They're being put out of their livelihood. And, Paul, and some think Paul, some, so there's some other, um, some other theories about who may have wrote this. But the, the scripture here is all throughout Hebrew, 
Hebrews is encouraging them essentially not to give up. So this is, this is the context with which we're jumping into Hebrews. These people are on the edge of giving up. Many of them have already given up, which is the, the, the reason for the writing of the letter because, because the leaders of the church have seen that many have already fallen away and they're writing the letter to the group of, of Hebrew Christians saying, come back, don't give up, hold fast to what you've, you've confessed already. So, we see throughout the book of Hebrews, we see a lot, of, a lot of imagery and a lot of pictures to the Old Testament, and that's where we get a lot of that from. So we're gonna back up to verse 13. The writer says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. The, the writer is actually pointing all the way back to Genesis 15, um, in Genesis 15, God comes down and makes a covenant with Abraham. He, he, he makes what we call, uh, what was then known as a Chaldean covenant. Uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham, he says, take some calves and some goats and some pigeons and some, some other animals and, and, and sacrifice them and split them. And, and the Chaldean covenant was actually the one who was supposed to uphold the covenant would walk in between the animals and what actually, what, what historians would call, would, would invoke a self-curse upon themselves. Because if, if they didn't uphold the promise that they made, they actually were swearing an oath that, that they were liable to death if they didn't uphold the promise. So in the book of, of Genesis in chapter 15, the Lord tells Abraham, he says, prepare the setting. And then he tells Abraham, he says, sit over on the side. And the scripture actually says that the Lord himself comes down and as a fire walks through the middle of these animals. He comes down as a fire and walks through the middle of these animals. And the picture is, is that the Lord himself says, I swear on my own life that upon my own life, I'm risking my own life that I'm gonna be the one to uphold the promise. I'm gonna be the one to uphold the covenant. I'm gonna be the one who assures you that as sure as I live, not as sure as you live, not as sure as your son who is to come lives. Remember at this time when he's talking to Abraham, there is no Isaac. In fact, at this time, there is no Ishmael. There is no, there is no heir to the house of Abraham when he makes this covenant. The Lord comes down and says, as sure as I live, I will uphold the promise. And this is the promise that has been extended to us. Paul says in Galatians that all who are born of faith are actually sons of Abraham. All who are born of faith are sons of Abraham. It's not as sure as I come to church, the promise is upheld to me. It's not as sure as I read the scriptures, the promises upheld to me. It's as sure as the Lord lives, the promises upheld to me. Well, well, he didn't come down and walk through the fire for me. He came down and walked through the fire for Abraham. No, he did come down and walk through the fire for me because the father came down and walked through for Abraham, but the son came down and stood and hung between heaven and earth for me. Because he who knew no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. So the shadow of the promise to Abraham became the fulfillment of the promise to me. And the promise wasn't based on my goodness or my ability. It was based on his ability. And he says, surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. Verse 16, he says, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. 
For when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character, he, he guaranteed it with an oath. The word for oath here is a pledge or a vow. It also means, the root word means a boundary. In other words, the Lord, through the oath of his word, he, he not only makes a promise, he then sets an oath. He makes a pledge with his promise. And he actually sets a boundary and says, I swear, it, um, one of the, the definitions for the root word is a coast. It's as, it's as far as it's able to possibly go. The Lord says, this is the extent to which I will go. The extent to which I will go to uphold the promise to you. The extent to which I will uphold to go to, to uphold the promise to you is that is that I will swear it by my own name. I will swear it by my own name, and it is guaranteed to come to pass. It's guaranteed to come to pass. It's not, it's not maybe coming to pass, it's not probably come to pass, but it's guaranteed to come to pass. Verse 18. So by two unchangeable things, it's impossible for God to lie. So we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Here's what we've been working to get to. To hold fast to the hope that's set before us. Might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. I wanna, I wanna kind of dive into this for a minute. How many of you know that more happened at Calvary than we realize? More happened at Calvary than we realize. At the cross, everything changed. Everything changed. Some stuff came through the cross and continued, like worship. Old Testament, we worshiped as Levites. New Testament, we're all adopted as Levites. It continues through the cross. Some stuff stops at the cross, animal sacrifice. Some stuff comes to the cross and is shifted and comes out on the other side of the cross different. Hope changes at the cross. Hope is transitioned at the cross from an Old Testament concept of hope to a New Testament concept of hope. The Old Testament concept of hope was a waiting, a tarrying, a holding on, a pressing in, but a New Testament concept of hope is a man. A New Testament concept of hope is the one who's actually entered in and fulfilled every promise that we've ever needed fulfilled. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All things. In the Old Testament, what's the most famous uh, scripture about hope that we know? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? The, the definition for hope, specifically in that context in the Old Testament, that word for hope is to tarry. It's to wait. It's to stay. Did you know in the Strong's, the, the actual, in that definition, it actually, it actually says painful in the Old Testament, waiting was a painful process of stay still, don't you move, hang on, press in, and wait. Why? Because in the Old Testament, they were waiting for the fulfillment of him who has come. In the New Testament, hope is not a waiting and a staying still and a painful process. 
Hope is a joyful expectation of good things that are coming. A joyful expectation of good things that are coming. But I feel like the church has lost the ability to enter into joyful expectation. We have become good at pressing in and getting by. We've become really good at fighting the good fight of faith. We've become really good at forgetting the things behind and reaching and pressing towards the things ahead. And those are great. They're scriptural. But there is a hope that we are supposed to be held by We're actually not supposed to cling to the hope. It's supposed to wrap us in its arms and hold us. And that hope is not a hope that the world gives. You know what the world's hope is? The world's hope is I wish it would happen and I want it to happen. It is a, it is a, is a exercise in the mind of maybe one day this will come to pass. The Christian idea of hope is not an idea at all. It's an experience. And the experience is supposed to be joy. It's supposed to be joy. But we have lost the joy of hope in the church. We've lost the joy of hope in the church because we've forgotten what it looks like to enter into waiting with him because we've forgotten that he is our hope. Joy is supposed to be experienced in the Christian life. It's not supposed to be an idea. It's not supposed to be a concept. We we listen to, to scriptures. This is... Maybe this is far out. We read scriptures like the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we think, yeah, thank God. And we, we exercise it mentally, but we never actually enter into the experience of joy. Did you know that this book is meant to be experienced? The joy of the Lord is actually meant to be experienced. It's supposed to be something that I enter into and experience. It's not supposed to just be an idea or a concept that I quote when bad news shows up. It's supposed to be something that fills my being and that supernaturally takes over me in a moment when there should be no joy. It should look strange. It should feel weird, and I feel the tension in the room. If you feel it too, good. I feel it. I feel it. But this is the tension, because the natural doesn't understand the supernatural. The tension should be, my man says I shouldn't be joyful, but something is coming over me that says I am joyful in this moment. Not I choose to be joyful. Not I want to be joyful. Not I hope I'm gonna be joyful. I am experiencing joy in the moment. But how? The scripture says that in his presence there is joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And the church has abandoned the joy of his presence for the sorrow of pressing in and waiting for better days ahead. We have abandoned the joy of his presence. It is is not an idea, church. It's not a concept. It's an experience. 
We are meant to experience joy with him. We're meant to experience joy with him. We've come, we've gotten so good. I don't know if I can say this. We've gotten so good at crying at the altar. We've forgotten what it looks like to sit and laugh at the feet of Jesus. We've forgotten to sit, to what it looks like to sit and laugh at the feet of Jesus. We, we would be embarrassed in a prayer closet by ourselves with no one around. I'm talking in a room with no one looking to, to smile at the feet of Jesus because religion says if you're experiencing him, it better look like tears and repentance and weeping. And there is a joy in his presence. Is there a place for repentance and weeping? Absolutely. But there is a joy that we're meant to have in him. A joy that we're meant to have in him. And it is a testimony to who he is. Do you know what the psalmist said of him? That he had the oil of gladness above all his peers because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. I think it's Psalm 45. He loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And because of that, that God, his God, anointed him with the oil of gladness above all his peers. That word for gladness, it means joy. He was anointed with joy, with joy. But the church has lost her joy. We've lost our joy. Because hope to us looks like put your head down and grind. Hope to us looks like put your head down and press through. And let me tell you, there is a time for weeping. He is the God who John Pop preached about a couple weeks ago so beautifully, who will stand at the graveside and weep with you. But he's also the God who will stand in the midst of utter chaos and laugh through the heartache with you because joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Tears come through the midnight hour, but joy comes in the morning. He is the morning. The scripture calls him the bright and morning star. He is the one who decides when morning comes. Morning doesn't come when enough time has passed. Morning comes when he shows up. When he shows up, morning is there. And if we want to be attractive to the people around us, it's not always going to look like weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not always going to look like that. I love crying in the presence of the Lord. I do. I've been doing it for, I don't know how long. I don't know how long, since I was seven years old. But I feel like the Lord is challenging us to be a people filled with joy. To be a people filled with joy in the middle of waiting, in the middle of hoping. It said that the hope is joy. Hope in the New Testament is joyful expectation. And we have strong encouragement to hold fast to this hope, to take possession, to obtain, to have power to enter into this hope. Why do we have to seize and to take possession and to enter in and to have power to take a hold of the hope, to take a hold of the joyful expectation? Because it's not natural. Because joy is not natural to the human condition. It's not. Joy is not natural to the human condition. 
And if, if you don't believe me, take a look outside. I've, this has been, I feel like it's showing up everywhere for me over the past month. Everywhere I look, I feel like the Lord is talking about joy. I, I felt like the Lord said that joy and faith are two panels of the same wall that hold itself up, that hold each other up. And I felt like he said that faith without joy, faith without joy is discipline and that discipline alone will never sustain you. Discipline alone will never sustain you. Because discipline alone, now listen, hear me, discipline is good, but discipline alone will never sustain you because discipline alone is religion. And you've been called into relationship. And relationship is always based in love. And the outflow of love is always joy. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. But we've, we've, clung to, we've clung to love and said it has to look and fit in a certain box and abandon joy. We've abandoned joy as a church. And no wonder people don't want a part of it. No wonder people don't want a part of it. I don't want to hang out with a bunch of sad people either. I love you guys. <laughs> Verse 19, he says, we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This joyful expectation, it anchors our soul, not our spirit. It anchors our soul. Our emotions are anchored by the joyful expectation of the good that the Lord is going to perform. Our mind that is racing in the middle of the night thinking, how am I going to pay the bills? Why are my kids acting like a bunch of lunatics? Why is that boss a crazy person? I'm going to fight that person at work. They don't leave me alone. Lord, get me out of that place. Our mind is anchored by the joyful expectation that he is going to perform everything that he promised. It's anchored in that hope, in that truth. And that anchor is sure and steadfast. Those words almost mean the same thing. It is moving forward and it cannot be moved off of that path. Our mind, our will, and our emotions, our emotions are anchored. And this word for anchor, I'm almost finished. This word for anchor is so interesting. So the, the word for anchor means exactly what you think it means. It's, it's just an anchor. But the root word is very interesting. The root word for anchor here is the same root word used in Ephesians 2, where it says, you who were once afar off have been drawn nigh by the blood of Christ. And, and the root word is only used actually one other time in Luke 2.28. It says, then he took him up in his arms. He took him up in his arms. So the root word for anchor here is always referencing taking up in arms. It's, it's the inner angle of a bent arm. 
It's to take up in arms. So the joyful expectation of good anchors our soul and that anchor is him picking us up in his arms, wrapping us up in his arms, holding us in his arms. It's not the, and I love this, but it's not the weeping at the altar that is the anchor for my soul. It's not the running to the apostle and saying, please counsel me that anchors my soul. It's the joyful expectation that he is the one who upholds everything that he's ever spoken, that he is the only one who is able to perform it, that he is the only one who's able to say yes and amen to every promise, that he is the only one who can say no to everything that the enemy's ever spoken, that he is the only one and he has wrapped me in his arms and anchored me in this hope if I'll enter into joyful expectation. And in that joyful expectation, my mind, my will, my emotions, they cannot be moved. They are solid. They're steadfast. They're immovable. They're unshakable in this hope. In this hope. I don't have to be moved. I can be joyful and unmoved in this hope. I don't have to live a life of just saying, I'm going to choose to be happy despite what the circumstance says. No, that's, that's, that's great, but that's what the world does. The world's self-help books say, choose to be happy regardless of what your situation says. The Lord says, I will make you happy. I will cause you to be happy in the middle of the valley of the giants. I will cause you to be happy. Stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.